Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Their ability to earn an income is now less because they're committing to, on a busy day, when all the other stores are open and everybody else is buying and selling, everybody else is getting ahead, and what they're saying is now... We're going to obey you. We're going to trust you. You could sum up this commitment with one word, and that word is the word trust. We're going to trust you, God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. The important question in our lives is, will we trust God? Pastor J.D. will be teaching about the Israelites in Nehemiah's time, addressing that question after years of exile and slavery. Their leaders chose to answer in the affirmative and put their names down to show everyone their strength of resolve. We will be challenged to do the same today. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hekeliah, and Zedekiah, Seraiah, verse 2, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Maluch, Harim, Meramath, Obadiah, Daniel, Genathon, Baruch, Meshulam, verse 7, Abijah, Mijamin, Maaziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. We're going to get a delineation of all of these who signed and sealed this oath, this covenant, this renewed commitment, which is how the chapter begins, where the narrative had ended in the previous chapter. This after the children of Israel had just experienced this revival, this renewal, and now on the heels of this oath that they're making, they're going to seal it, and they do so in concert with what's believed to be the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture, which we saw and studied in chapter 9. It was a really interesting prayer. It just kind of recounted and recalled all the grand and glorious things that God had done for His people in spite of the disobedience of His people. We're going to see that again as we get towards the end of the chapter. So verses 1 through 8, we have this list of names. We're going to have another list of names, verses 9 through 27. And these are, by name, those who sign and seal the oath. And, of course, it's under Nehemiah who is the governor. Now, in verses 9 through 27, I'm not going to read through all of those names Unless, of course, you want me to butcher them in trying to pronounce them. But I do want to make mention of this delineation again. In verse 9 through verse 13, it's the Levites. So we first had the priests, verses 1 through 8. And then we have this delineation in verses 9 through 13 of the Levites. 
And then we also have now from verse 14 all the way through verse 27, all of the names of the leaders. What we're going to see here is that there are 84 names listed here total with the Levites, the priests, and all of the leaders. Now the question is why? Here's one of those places in God's Word where we have what seems to be at first read this mundane, almost nebulous, even if you will, inconsequential list of names. Why do we need to know that? Why is it here in God's Word? Why do we have 84 names by name recorded here? Well, obviously God deemed it necessary that we know who these men were, all 84 of them. And the reason, I believe, is that these men were willing to lay it all on the line. They were willing to put their name on this oath, be accountable to it, committed to it, and God takes notice of it. God always takes notice of anyone who is willing to lay it all on the line as these men did. And I'll take it a step further and suggest this. God wants their names, all 84 of these men's names, remembered throughout all of history. And he would deem it necessary to include them in the pages of Holy Writ. Now, what is our tendency? Our tendency is to read through them or (laughs) skip over them which is what we usually do. And I think sometimes we do so to our own peril. Think of it this way. What if your name was in there? Oh, that's kind of like at the end of a movie, all the credits, everybody leaves. Here's all the names of all the people that were responsible for that motion picture. We could care less. What if your name was up there and nobody really cares? Well, God cares. God cares. I want that name noticed. I want that name recognized throughout all the ages because of their commitment and their willingness to do what they did. Verse 28. Now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Verse 29, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and, this is interesting, entered into a curse. What does that mean? In other words, if they break this oath, if they don't make good on this commitment, they're making a vow here and they're sealing it in writing, and they're signing it. They're signing their name to it, and they're committing to it. And what they're saying here is they're entering into it fully aware, keenly aware, that if they break this oath, that a curse will come upon them for doing so. And an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. So this mention of the rest of the people, as they're referred to here, are all of those in addition to now the aforementioned 84 men 
who actually put their name on it. And I guess it would be akin to the Declaration of Independence. We have the forefathers' signatures on that document, and it bears witness to them signing it and committing to it for all the ages and all of the generations that would follow. Now, what is the point? Well, the point is they were all of one mind, They were all of one accord. They were all walking in agreement concerning this oath. Now, lest you think that this is a firm grasp of the obvious, I would submit that this is huge. This is huge. I don't think you can overstate the paramount importance of God's people walking together in agreement, being united of one mind and one accord. We read prior that they were as if one voice. They weren't just in harmony. They were in unison. They were in unison one with the other. I liken it to the tuning to the same pitchfork, the same fork that you use to tune a piano. I love it when uh, uh, Pastor Mac filled in for me and Everybody was just so blessed by the teaching of God's Word. I love it when you bring the Word, brother. And they're saying things like, you know, he's like you, Pastor J.D. You guys just are straight up. And I love that because what that means to me is, is that we're tuned to the same fork, the tuning fork of the Holy Spirit. We're of one mind and one accord. That is so important. In fact, if you can kind of flip it around the other direction, and think about what would happen if that were not the case. Can you imagine? Pastor Matt gets up here and starts preaching a different gospel. <laughs> God forbid, ain't going to happen, right? But Which is no gospel at all, like we're reading about in the book of Galatians, and as we just had studied when we were in 2 Corinthians. This other gospel, this different gospel. Think about the implications of that. And is this not what was happening to the Corinthian church? And is this not what was happening to the churches there in Galatia? They were not walking in agreement together. There was discord. In fact, on Sunday, very uh, usually on Thursdays, I try to get started and at least kind of have a sense of where I'm going to go with our uh, study in Galatians. And uh, we're, we're coming into now the uh, rest of chapter 5, a passage of Scripture I've been looking forward to for a very long time to teach. It's that actually famous passage where we get into this contrast between the acts of the flesh and then contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. I cannot wait. But what's really interesting is, I think we start in verse 13 on Sunday, chapter 5, Lord willing, and Paul basically says this to him. Think about this statement. Think about this statement. I think it's about verse, I want to say, um, 15-ish, heavy on the ish. He says basically this. This is the gist of it. He says, be really careful. He's, He's warning them. If you continue to bite and devour one another, you know what's going to happen? You will destroy each other. That is the antithesis of being of one mind and one accord. So it's no wonder that in Psalm 133, I want to read the entire Psalm 133, all three verses of it. So relax. So you might 
not be surprised to learn how beautiful it is, how much it blesses the heart of God, how pleasant, as the psalmist says, it is to God when His people are of one mind and one accord. Listen to the imagery here in Psalm 133. Behold, look, see how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. This is very expensive and very fragrant oil. You get the impression that unity and harmony amongst God's people is very fragrant and very beautiful to God. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's sort of a counterpart to this in Amos 3, verse 3. Perhaps you're familiar with this. This is actually a, an often quoted verse. It's really a question. It's rhetorical. And the prophet writes and asks, can two walk together except they be agreed? How can you walk together? How can you have harmony together unless you're walking in agreement? This is why I'm so looking forward to Galatians 5, because Paul, by the Spirit, gives us the key. And that's almost an understatement. I hate to use this word. I use it carefully. The secret. I don't like that word. I think it's been hijacked a little bit. It's been kind of marred and sort of ruined, but it's the secret to success in the Christian life. What do you mean? Well, how do you not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? And he lists them there. And oh, by the way, things like gossip and factions and strife and divisions are listed in the same list with things like murder and orgies, sexual immorality. Can you imagine? That's how repulsive it is to God to bring division, gossiping, strife, factions, cliques into the body of Christ. Because what does that do? It separates, it divides, and it destroys. And this is why Paul warns it. I'm preaching Sunday sermon tonight. (laughs) I digress. I think you get the point. God takes this seriously. God takes harmony and walking in agreement seriously. And one last thing, and then I'll stop with Sunday's sermon. Paul says, if you're walking in the Spirit, you won't fulfill a lesson in the flesh. Think about that. If you're walking in this direction, in step with, in sync with the Spirit, you can't go in the opposite. It's impossible. You can't go in the opposite direction with the flesh that's warring at enmity that is in conflict with the Spirit. It's pulling you in this direction. You can't walk both ways. It's one or the other. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 6 when he says that you cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say you should not. It would be a good idea if you did not. No, he says you cannot. It's an impossibility. It's either one or the other. You're either walking in the Spirit or, not both, or you're walking in this direction, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Anyway, that's okay. I'm not going to say any more. 
about Sunday's teaching. Okay, verse 30. Now again, this is their oath, this is their commitment that they're agreeing to and signing their names to and committing to. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. What's going on here? What's this all about? Well, the parents here are entering into a vow that they will not let their daughters or sons marry the peoples of the land, intermarry with these foreigners who were not Jews. And this is what they would do back in that day. And actually it's still the case somewhat today in some parts of the Middle East. You want to marry within your, uh, you know, people and uh, they actually would arrange the marriages. I remember growing up when I was young, they wanted me to marry uh, an Arab. So you might imagine they were a little bit upset with me when I did not marry an Arab. I married an American and lived happily ever after 29 years later. But the purpose of this was to keep it in the family. And it's really kind of a uh, an ignoble motive. It was to keep the wealth in the family. God didn't want them intermarrying because the bloodline had to be kept pure because the Savior of the world would come from this lineage, from this bloodline. But that's not why they would do it. Why would they keep the marriage in the family? Because they wanted to keep the wealth in the family. Anyway, I I don't want to digress again. This has application in our day. And it's that of young people not being unequally yoked in marriage to someone who is not a Christian. This again is Second Corinthians chapter 6. I'll just read verses 14 through 18. As I do, just view this and listen to this through the lens of walking in agreement together, being in sync of one mind and one accord. Now listen to what Paul says. A couple of rhetorical questions again. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Again, you see the either-or dynamic here? It's either one or the other. You cannot have fellowship light with darkness. It's an impossibility. Verse 15, what harmony, good word, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? In other words, it's either one or the other. It's not both. Or here's another one. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Then listen to what he says. Therefore come out from them and be separate says the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So again, we have this commitment. They're in agreement. They're all in harmony, one with the other. Let's look at verse 31, another interesting commitment here. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell, On the Sabbath day, 
we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Of course, now this is in keeping with God's commands for his people concerning the Sabbath, concerning the tithes and offerings, concerning buying and selling on the Sabbath day. And so what they're doing now is they're renewing their commitment to God. We're going to obey you in this, and perhaps more importantly, we're going to trust you in this, and that's what they're doing. This is yet another commitment on their part as it relates to their livelihood. Their ability to earn an income is now less because they're committing to, on a busy day, when all the other stores are open and everybody else is buying and selling, everybody else is getting ahead, and what they're saying is, now we're going to obey you, we're going to trust you. You can sum up this commitment with one word, and that word is the word trust. We're going to trust you, God. We're going to enter into this oath. We're not going to buy or sell on the Sabbath. And what this clearly demonstrates is their willingness to trust God to provide all their financial needs under the banner of their obedience. i got to share this with you. Many, many years ago, in a land far, far away, long before I was ever in the ministry, I had a business, and I would close my business completely down on Tuesday. Nothing sacred about Tuesday. It was just the one day that I would shut it down, and I would not do any business, and I would go to the church, and I would serve all day at the church. And at the time, I was doing all the financial administration, or my pastor was on the board, and I was just helping out, just available. Sometimes I would fill in for my pastor. I would sometimes do counseling sessions. I was just making myself available. And I just trusted God, okay, this is a weekday, this is a business day, and I'm not open for business. And I realized my competitor can get the business that I would have had had I been open that day. And here's what God did. And here's how God honored that. Wednesday would come, and invariably, almost without exception, the phone would ring. And on the other end of the phone was somebody that would say something like this. And God is my witness on this. So, you know, I was going to call yesterday on Tuesday, but I got busy. So I'm going to call you today. And the customer on the other end of the phone is a buyer. And it was like, God just saved that for me and provided that buyer for me on Wednesday to bless my commitment to him on Tuesday. I've never forgot that. The book of Nehemiah introduces us to a biblical character who wasn't a priest. In fact, he held no great spiritual title at all. Nehemiah was just an ordinary man who God used to do something extraordinary. God still does this today. You don't have to hold an important office or study at seminary to do great things for your creator. God wants to use every follower to make an impact in the world for his kingdom and has uniquely equipped each of us with the skills we need to do just that. You have a purpose. You can be sure of that. Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other teachings by Pastor J.D., visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
There's also a link to our special weekend edition of In Spirit and Truth, and Pastor J.D. is here to tell you more about them. Yes, I'd like to invite our In Spirit and Truth listeners to join us for our weekend editions in which I do a Bible prophecy update. We look at current events happening around the world and how they relate to specific prophecies in the Bible. We broadcast these updates each Friday and Saturday, or you can find previous updates on our YouTube channel and You can find the link at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. You can also access the Mideast Prophecy Update and other teachings on our mobile app, as well as learn more about In Spirit and Truth. Find a link to download at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through Nehemiah next time on In Spirit and Truth.